Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Do Hong Yu with you on this Monday, December 25th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, an Israeli strike on a refugee camp in Gaza has killed at least 70 people. Classes focus on earthquake knowledge and survival skills for children in earthquake-hit areas in northwest China. Somalia's infrastructure has sustained heavy damages in rains and flash flooding. In business, China's zero-tariff treatment for six least developed African countries. In sports, Xinjiang clinches its 10th consecutive CBA win. In culture and entertainment, a Sanxingdui-themed animation to open in Chinese theaters. Now, today's top stories. Health authorities in Gaza say an Israeli strike on a refugee camp has killed at least 70 people. They say many more are buried under the rubble. Hamas is calling it a new war crime. Israel's military says it's reviewing the attack. The bombing came as Egypt proposed a three-phase deal that includes another hostage exchange and a 14-day truce. Associated Press reporter Isabel Debris has more. The Israeli military said that 15 Israeli soldiers had been killed in its ground offensive in Gaza since Friday, making this the bloodiest weekend for Israel since the start of its ground offensive in October. In the course, it's important to keep in mind the death toll on the Palestinian side now surpasses over 20,000. Right now, the Israeli public does support the war, but the death toll could always test those, test that, that level of support. Right now, we have seen increasing anger over Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's government. At the same time, as the war goes on, Netanyahu has vowed to just continue and says, even though the troops have suffered a very heavy blow, the war will not stop. And this has also raises very serious concerns for the humanitarian situation, which only gets more desperate by the day. And you're seeing really, really desperate scenes of people fighting over bread, trying to really chaotic lines for just a little bit of soup, people waiting for very long hours just to get some water. That's happening in the south. It's very overcrowded shelters. And meanwhile, in the north, the WHO, World Health Organization, says that hospitals are not even functioning. People are just trying to stop the bleeding or send them to evacuate south because at this at this point, there are no supplies, there's no fuel, and there's just not enough to keep these patients alive in the north. That was Isabel Debris with the Associated Press. A United Nations resolution is calling for efforts to boost aid into Gaza. The number of trucks entering the region is far from enough, and the humanitarian supplies can reach only a small amount of the population. Displaced residents are struggling to find shelter. Previously, I was in the Gaza city and came here to this brash camp as a displaced person. Yesterday, the occupation dropped leaflets demanding us to evacuate. Now, I don't know where I will go. I have no other place. I don't know where we will go next. There is no place left for us. They invaded the Gaza city and expelled us, and now it is the turn of the central region. We can't take it anymore. We can barely find food for ourselves. They want us to go to Rafah in the south, which is overcrowded with the displaced. Here, even in the central region, we can hardly find a place to stay. Even if the residents manage to get to southern Gaza, they will very likely face a shortage of food and soaring prices because of a lack of aid. The World Health Organization says the healthcare system in Gaza is under attack. 
WHO officials have visited four hospitals, including Al Shifa, once the largest hospital in the region. Sean Casey is the WHO emergency medical team coordinator. He says the hostilities and massive numbers of injured people have lowered the hospital's capacities significantly. I'm back in Al Shifa, the largest hospital in Gaza, for the third time this week, where it's still a case of absolute misery. With people still on the floors, it's almost impossible to walk. Critical cases, doctors and nurses absolutely scrambling, people crying out that they need blood for their sons and daughter who are dying. There's almost nothing that this team can do, this very small clinical team can do to help all of these people. It's absolute chaos still. The WHO officials delivered over 19,000 liters of fuel to the hospital for generating electricity to help revive vital services such as surgeries. Al-Shifa is also providing refuge to 50,000 displaced people. Only nine hospitals in Gaza are partially functional. Noor Harazin has been taking shelter inside one of such facilities. She tells us about the worsening situation. Me actually being here inside the Al-Aqsa Hospital for more than two months now and we witnessed with our own eyes how the situation inside the hospitals is just going from bad to worse. Uh, talking about Northern Gaza and out of 22 hospitals there is zero hospitals that are now operating. The only hospital which is actually operating in Northern Gaza is Ashifa Hospital and it is only operating as a refugee camp for those displaced families. There is rarely any services for uh, those injured or the patient. Here in the, in the uh, south there is four main hospitals in uh, Rafah, uh, Khan Yunis and also here in uh, Deir el-Bala. However, the system has collapsed inside the hospital. I mean, here inside the, the Al-Aqsa Hospital, this hospital was designed to service 350,000 people. However, now uh, this hospital is serving more than 800,000. Now there is more than 1,000 patients and people injured inside the hospital. So yes, the healthcare system here in Gaza has totally collapsed. That was Noor Harazin reporting from Gaza. A delegation from a militant group allied with Hamas has joined talks in Egypt. The Palestinian Islamic Jihad movement is known to be holding some of the Israeli captives in Gaza. The group says negotiation will center on ways to end Israeli aggression. The PIJ has rejected any new prisoner swap deals with Israel unless Israel ends its offensive in Gaza. The Houthi rebels of Yemen have renewed their warnings to the U.S. forces in the Red Sea. They urge the U.S. forces to leave the area quickly before it becomes what they described as a burning arena. The warning came as the U.S. accused the Houthis of attacking a crude oil tanker owned by Gambon with a drone. The Houthis has denied the accusation, claiming it was a U.S. naval destroyer that was behind a missile attack against its plane. A Houthi spokesperson has denounced the militarization of the Red Sea by the U.S. and its partners. Bethlehem is suffering one of its bleakest holiday seasons because of the conflict in Gaza. The town revered as the birthplace of Jesus Christ is having muted or no Christmas celebrations at all, Feng Yilei reports. No festive lights, no colorful parade or soaring Christmas tree at the birthplace of Jesus in Bethlehem. Instead, the mood is somber. 
Bishop Council decided not to make a, a big celebration as a sign of solidarity with the victims of the war, uh, we cannot do it in the streets. So we need in this difficult time to strengthen our people by the prayer. And we continue celebrating spiritually uh, the Christmas, not outside, but inside our hearts. About a mile from the Church of the Nativity, Shepherd's Field is another significant holy site in Bethlehem, where the angel first announced on Jesus' birth. Usually around Christmas, it is packed with hundreds of groups of international pilgrims, but this year they have been replaced by an abnormal tranquility, reminding people of the impact of the conflict. The repercussions are also being felt beyond the church steps. Local vendors face a devastating loss of income. Their large inventory in anticipation of a bustling holiday season, now at risk. They open just for getting fresh air because this wood carvings, you know, they need, can't be staying in the dark all the time and uh, the main source of income is uh, tourists. So people are suffering from uh, this situation and uh, no jobs, no work uh, because of the lack of tourism. Hotels in Bethlehem, boasting over 5,000 rooms, are usually fully booked during this peak season. Safety concerns and travel restrictions are driving widespread cancellations. Today is nothing, maybe six, seven rooms in each hotel. More than half is closed. It's cheaper for them than they open, because if they are open, they need some four or five employees and they didn't get uh, their money. While a few tourists are still arriving, they remain wary. It's not... Uh, stable. Quite, it's not quite. No, we don't know what is happening. Authorities say more than 70% of the local economy is tied to tourism. They estimate a loss of about $200 million by year's end in some sectors. It's about the aggression against our people in Gaza Strip. Since that time, the tourism sector was stopped. Even if we continue with having these celebrations, I believe that we will receive zero visitors because uh, West Bank under military closure and Bethlehem is isolated now than, uh, than other uh, Palestinian cities. Bethlehem's Christmas festivities have traditionally mirrored the state of Israeli-Palestinian relations. It's widely believed economic recovery can only come with the arrival of real peace. That was Feng Yilei in Bethlehem. Coming up, classes have resumed online in earthquake hit areas in northwest China. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platforms and get ready to dive in. It's 11 minutes past the hour. People in Jishushan County in northwest China have mourned the victims of the 6.2 magnitude earthquake. They observed three minutes of silence and laid flowers during a ceremony. The earthquake has killed 149 people in Gansu and Qinghai provinces. Classes have resumed online for students in earthquake-hit areas. One focus is the children's mental well-being and training them with survival skills. Guo Tianqi joined one of the classes near the epicenter in Gansu province. Children in the Dahe village resettlement camp are learning skills to escape from further earthquakes. Under the guidance of experts from the Gansu Earthquake Agency. 
Despite their innocent laughter, their homes have either collapsed or suffered heavy damage. But experts say they hope they'll be less afraid after understanding the causes behind earthquakes. Earthquakes are a natural phenomenon, like wind, rain, thunder, and hail. And the Earth experiences five million earthquakes a year. What we felt this time was a 6.2 magnitude earthquake in Jishishan County. People are injured because of the collapse of buildings. The earthquake itself does not directly cause casualties, so do remember to tell your parents that homes should be rebuilt in accordance with earthquake prevention and standards. The experts also bring books along for the children to read. They are here to conduct an earthquake intensity survey, and they offer lectures in their spare time. When there is an earthquake, we should run diagonally across the hillside. If we are in high-rise housing, we should first seek to avoid danger in the corner, and then run out when the earthquake stops. Living in the tent with a hot stove, we should pay attention not to be burned and keep clean and tidy. We bought the books yesterday to let them know that everyone cares about them. For the children, we know local people have strong awareness of earthquakes and preventing disasters. For the focus of the relief work has changed into the resume the livelihood of the affected communities. The authorities said that they will build some libraries and classrooms in the resettlement camp to ensure that the students and children can continue their study. That was Guo Tianqi reporting. Serbian President Alexander Vucic has vowed to preserve the country's freedom, independence, and sovereignty following protests over alleged voting irregularities in the general election. Hundreds of opposition supporters tried to break into the city hall building in the capital after election observers said fraud were widespread. Vucic has described the claim as blatant lies and condemned the violence during the protest. I'm here at my workplace in a Serbia presidency building, about 80 to 100 meters from the demonstrators and part of violent people who are still trying to take over Belgrade City Council. I want to tell you not to worry, citizens of Serbia. Even though there are dramatic scenes, we love our country, we love our city, and we're not used to someone breaking our windows or destroying our house. The president said the authorities will not give in to the violence, which he says is destroying the country. Results from the election on December 17th showed victory for Vucic's Serbian Progressive Party in both the parliamentary and Belgrade city ballots. Main opposition coalition Serbia Against Violence says it was robbed of a win. The Serbian government has denied rigging the vote, describing the election as fair. Embassies of some Western countries in the Democratic Republic of the Congo are urging restraint as vote counting continues following the presidential election. Leading opposition members have called the voting a sham, and some are calling for an annulment. Chris Okamringa reports from Kinshasa. 
These foreign embassies uh, called on Congolese to remain calm as vote counting goes on because there have been some outbreak of protests, in, especially in Kinshasa. That's after the Electoral Commission announced the provisional results on Friday, which uh, came from uh, voting in the diaspora. Uh, President Felix Chisekedi had a comfortable lead, and some of the supporters of the rival opposition candidates decided to stage a protest on the outskirts of the city. Some young men uh, blocked a road and they were threatening to beat up motorists who were applying that route that leads to the airport. And so there's a lot of tension and that's why they have been calling for calm. Voting was officially supposed to end on Thursday, but it went on in some other parts of the country where, you know, people had not got the voting machines, many of them were faulty, and so voting went on in other parts of the country and that is something that the opposition members have condemned. We've also seen a statement from the Electoral Commission condemning the acts of vandalism and attacks against some of their staff. Elections in the DRC are highly emotive events. Protests that normally start out uh, are described as peaceful end up turning violent because there are very many people who are angry at uh, the conduct of the elections. They are, they are saying that uh, the Electoral Commission was trying to rig this election in favor of the incumbent, President Felix Chisekedi. That was Chris Okamrenga on the presidential election in the DRC. Displaced people fleeing to Port Sudan due to the lingering war between two rival military factions in Sudan are faced with new hardships of living, including price hikes and supply shortages. Over 6.7 million people in the country have been displaced since the conflict between the Sudanese army and the rapid support forces erupted in April. The war has not affected the Red Sea state, making it one of the safest areas in Sudan. Its capital, Port Sudan, has become the country's current administrative capital. But the influx of over 100,000 people has caused shortages of various supplies in the city due to increasing consumption. Refugee Khalil Ahmed Ali says they need water and electricity. The water supply is not available and the electricity supply is not enough. Optimistically, these issues may be resolved in a month or two. I hope that the armed conflict in Sudan will end soon so that I can return to my hometown and rebuild my home. Food prices have surged by 60% in Port Sudan, while the monthly rent for a small apartment has increased tenfold, unaffordable for most people fleeing to the city. Refugee Adam Suleiman says many people want to return home. Many people cannot afford to pay rent or stay in a hotel. Some people live in very cheap, simple hotels. I am one of them. Many people have started to return to Khartoum. Some people went back as soon as they heard that the security situation in Khartoum had slightly improved. The real estate department of the Red Sea State is considering control measures to deal with the rental problems of displaced people. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, Somalia's infrastructure has sustained heavy damages in rains and flash flooding. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. It's 19 minutes past the hour. Somalia's infrastructure has sustained heavy damages in heavy rainfall and flash flooding. This has led to fears of a sharp rise in the cost of transport. It may also affect access to health care and education. Mohamed Kahir reports from Mogadishu. 
Heavy rains and flash floods resulting from the El Nino weather phenomenon have extensively damaged infrastructure across many parts of Somalia, raising fears of high cost of living. In major cities like Mogadishu, newly constructed roads were also swept away by floods, making movement within the city more difficult. The public transport operators have decried the high cost of repairing their vehicles and buying spare parts due to the damage caused by the poor state of roads. Due to heavy rains and the destruction caused, it has become impossible to use some roads. There are a lot of expenses incurred. We pay tax, we need fuel and we have to cater for our families. We are thinking about seeking other better opportunities due to the condition we are facing. Some of the major road networks in Somalia were constructed with the help of Chinese government in late 1970s. But they have not been properly maintained for decades due to insecurity caused by the prolonged conflict in the country. Authorities are urging international partners to offer a helping hand in rebuilding the country's damaged infrastructure. The Somali government has power to rebuild all damaged vital infrastructure like bridges, but we have shared this kind of support we need with our partners like the Chinese envoy and we hope our request will be submitted and conceded. The recent cancellation of Somalia's 4.5 billion US dollars debt by the IMF is expected to allow the country to focus more on investment in its infrastructure and its future borrowings. That was Mohamed Kahir on repairing infrastructure in Somalia. More about the impact of climate change and El Nino-induced drought has delayed rains in Zimbabwe by several weeks. As a result, more than 100 elephants at a national park have died of thirst. Farai Muakutuya has more. Many watering holes dried up and animals were forced to trek long distances in search of water. It's mostly elephant calves and aging jumbos that fell victim. We lost about 112 um, as, it of, as it of November, end of November. But of course, before the rains last week, um, more animals uh, kept on uh, dying. So maybe the number might have increased. I think we got a bit of a relief uh, sometime last week when we received uh, the rains. And um, now it's not uh, as bad as it was. Uh, not many animals are dying. 104 solar-powered boreholes are used to pump water into man-made watering holes in Wange National Park because there aren't any natural rivers or water sources in Zimbabwe's largest game park. A dwindling water table due to the drought had curtailed supply. Whilst the recent deaths have been attributed to the ongoing drought, authorities here say it also highlights a deeper problem. That is the number of elephants that have exceeded the habitat's carrying capacity. What we are struggling with is the is a, is, is a problem of an overpopulation of, a, of, of, of the animals within that park. This has also resulted in many people being killed after being attacked because they'll be competing for water. As they move, naturally they move in search of water and search of food, uh, interacting with, uh, with communities. But most importantly, uh, we need to deal with the elephant population in Wangi because it, it keeps on growing. Zimbabwe is home to an estimated 100,000 elephants the world's second largest population. About 45,000 of the Jumbos live within the Wange National Park. That was Farah Muakutuya on the ele elephant population in Zimbabwe. 
While pets may have a bigger impact on the environment than many of us realize, one company in Spain is exploring ways to reduce that impact dramatically. But it'll need some collective effort. Ken Brown tells us more. Sunshine and puppies. It's playtime at the Rivas Facia Madrid Animal Protection Center. Pets are part of the family for millions of us. But the truth about cats and dogs is that they have a growing carbon paw print. Here in Spain, there are more pets than children, and their population globally is rising fast. The problem is their predominantly meat-based food. Gianpaolo Pugliese is working on a solution: pet food made from insects. Sustainable and protein-rich, insects can be a genuine alternative to farmed animal feed. During the COVID, I had the time to think about my contribution to the society, and was doing a nice conversation with one of my best friend, that is an entomologist, that I discovered the black shoulder fly, and the opportunity we have to reduce the footprint of pet food production thanks to these animals. It might not be on our dinner tables anytime soon, but here at the pet rescue centre, it's certainly gone down a treat. Compared to beef farming, insect-based pet food needs just two percent of the land and four percent of the water to produce each kilogram of protein, generating ninety-six percent less greenhouse gas emissions. The pet food industry is worth a staggering one hundred billion dollars, and that's set to rise by over fifty percent in the next five years or so, according to Bloomberg Intelligence. Animal protein products still dominate the market, and net zero feels a long way off. The larvae that we use in Jinko is black shoulder larvae, is a fly, and pretty much is, it is grown in trays. So the space is minimum. The amount of food that you are giving is very little, and actually you use waste、um, for these animals. The amount of water that you need is very. Little compared with beef again. The main challenges for smaller startups like Jinko are scale and acceptance. Multinational players in this ultra-competitive industry post huge profits from existing products, and a sea change in consumer attitudes and behavior is needed. That was Ken Brown on alternative sources for pet food. The first Chinese-made large cruise ship is undergoing its first trial voyage to test its operational capacity. About 2,000 passengers boarded the Adora Magic City, which left Shanghai for a three-day trial run. Adora Cruises business de- development director Guo Jia explains what they plan to test during the maiden voyage. During the first trial operation, we will conduct a comprehensive test on service process, team cooperation, product experience, and other aspects. At the same time, we've invited industry experts to experience the whole process and give us opinions and suggestions, and we will make improvements accordingly. The ship will undergo a second trial operation before its commercial maiden trip, scheduled on New Year's Day, to Japan and South Korea. The Adora Magic City has over 2,100 luxury rooms, able to accommodate more than 5,200 guests. It'll provide passengers with attentive ser- services and extensive entertainment facilities. Harbin in northeast China has launched a series of projects to promote ice and snow events. Dubbed as China's City of Ice, the provincial capital of Heilongjiang has built many cultural and welfare facilities for ice and snow events, 
as it will host the Asian Winter Games in 2025. One of them is the Harbin Ice and Snow Culture Museum that opened to the public this year. Staff member Huang Ting says the museum aims to entertain visitors while expanding their knowledge on ice and snow culture. Here we have the exhibitions on the city's first ice lantern tour and the ice and snow expo, and the introductions on Harbin Ice Festival, as well as the ice and snow world. Here you can know more about our ice and snow culture and enjoy the ice and snow world. Many residents say they have benefited a lot from the welfare projects. It's 28 minutes past the hour. Now let's check the weather. Beijing is minus seven this evening. Tuesday will be sunny with a high of four. Chongqing is five tonight. Tomorrow cloudy and 13. Lhasa is minus five overnight. Tomorrow sunny and seven. Hong Kong is 12 tonight and it'll be cloudy and 18 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo is two overnight, sunny and 13 on Tuesday. Islamabad is nine this evening. Tomorrow sunny and 22. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, an Israeli strike on a refugee camp in Gaza has killed at least 70 people. Classes focus on earthquake knowledge and survival skills for children in earthquake-hit areas in northwest China. Somalia's infrastructure has sustained heavy damages in rains and flash flooding. Zhou Hongyu with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. I love you. 我爱你 This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, 你好，我的中文一点点 ，or a sophisticated learner. 我来北京五年了，我是本地人 There is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好 Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Do Hongyu with you on this Monday. Still to come in business, China's zero tariff treatment for six least developed African countries. In sports, Xinjiang clinches its tenth consecutive CBA win. In culture and entertainment, this year's highlights of showbiz in Hollywood. To contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at cgtn radio. But first, today's headlines. Here's Zhu Tianlu. Thank you, Hongyu. Central authorities in China have earmarked 400 million yuan in disaster relief fund for earthquake hit Gansu and Qinghai. The fund will help relocate the affected people and repair damaged houses. The Ministry of Finance has required the two provinces to prioritize people's lives and property. The ministry has provided a total of 1.1 billion yuan to aid relief work since the earthquake hit last week. At least 70 Palestinians have died in an Israeli airstrike on the El Maghazi refugee camp in the central Gaza Strip. The Gaza-based health ministry said the airstrike hit a crowded residential area. Most of the victims were women and children. It said Israeli forces are bombing the central region's main roads between camps, which obstructs ambulances and civil vehicles from reaching targeted locations. Meantime, the Israeli army said 15 Israeli soldiers were killed in Gaza over the weekend. 
A report says the United States has seen at least 645 mass shootings so far this year that each killed or injured at least four people. According to the Gun Violence Archive, 42,000 people have died in various gun incidents this year. In some of the latest incidents, a shooting at a shopping center in Florida killed one man and, and injured several others over the weekend. In New York City, one person is dead and three others injured in what officials believe to be a linked to a local gang. Thousands of migrants from various Latin American countries are trekking through Mexico, heading towards the the U.S. border. It came days before U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken arrives in Mexico City to hammer out new agreements to control the surge of migrants. A migrant from Colombia says he left his country to look for opportunities for a better life, even though he will have to overcome many difficulties. I had to leave the country without wanting to, because you know that leaving your family and roots, the few things you had, and venturing into something that is uncertain because you do not know where you are going to get to, how you are going to arrive. The number of undocumented migrants arriving at the Mexican-U.S. border has been increasing in recent weeks. The migrants are mainly concentrated in a city in the Coahuila state that borders the U.S. state of Texas. Data shows that this month, around 10,000 migrants were arrested per day at the U.S. southwest border. Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador discussed immigration issues with his U.S. counterpart Joe Biden by phone last week. He called on the U.S. to improve relations with countries like Cuba and Venezuela, which he said may ease migrant flows. Blinken will lead a delegation to Mexico on Wednesday to discuss migration. A fire that erupted on Russia's nuclear-powered uh, container ship Sevmoput has been put out. No one was injured in the incident, which occurred in the one of the cabins and affected an area of roughly 30 square meters. Authorities say there is no threat to the ship's nuclear plant. Sevmoput is the world's only nuclear-powered ice-breaking transport ship. It can navigate through ice fields up to one meter thick at a speed of two knots. Chinese, authority, Chinese health authorities say acute respiratory infections caused by different pathogens may continue to decline in the country this week. Peng Zhibin is the director of Respiratory Infectious Diseases Office at the China CDC. She says there is a decreasing trend in the overall diagnosis and treatment volume of respiratory disease cases. Both the total number of outpatient visits in fever clinics across the country and the weekly number of outpatient and emergency department visits for influenza-like illnesses in sentinel hospitals have shown an overall downward trend. In general, the current respiratory infectious diseases are mainly due to the influenza viruses, with additional cases caused by other pathogens. The official also says flu viruses are expected to remain the main pathogens causing acute respiratory infections this week. She says the activities of other respiratory pathogens are fluctuating and that coronavirus activity is at its lowest level so far this year.
Latest projections in Japan show that the elderly population will make up over 40% of the residents in more than half of the country's prefectures by 2050. Akita Prefecture is anticipated to have the highest concentration of people aged 65 and above. Nearly half of its population will fall into this age bracket by 2050. Japan's total population by that time is predicted to decline 17% from the 2020 figure of 126 million. Thank you very much. That was Zhu Tianlu with Headline News. This is Dou Hongyu in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's zero-tariff treatment for six least developed African countries. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China Africa Talk. Find us on your favorite podcast. We'll see you there. It's 37 minutes past the hour. Turning to business, the Chinese mainland markets closed higher on Monday. Chen Xuan has more. Things started well for the Chinese mainland markets. The Shanghai Composite opened higher, but soon lost its early energy and spent most of the day in negative territory, but managed to close 0.14 percent higher. The Shenzhen component was up. 0.38 percent, and the China export closed one third of a percent higher. Online gaming shares extended losses from Friday as China's new rules to curb spending on video games tended sentiment despite regulators' latest efforts to soothe investors' concerns. The weak sentiment towards the sector persisted despite a statement from regulators on Saturday that they would make improvements to the proposed rules after earnestly studying public views on them. China's CSI anime comic game index slumped nearly five percent, extending a ten percent tumble from the previous session. And shares in gaming companies like Giant Network Group and KingNet Network were down the ten percent daily limit. The proposed rules aim at curbing money and time spent on video games. Stocks in the media sector tumbled two point six percent as well, while defense shares gained one point six percent. That was Chen Xuan in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index was down 1.7 percent. In Japan, the Nikkei went up 0.3 percent. China is providing zero tariff treatment for six least developed African countries. Starting from Monday, 98 percent of taxable products from Angola, the Gambia, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Madagascar, Mali, and Mauritania will be exempt from tariffs when entering China. This will increase the number of African countries receiving zero tariff treatment to 27 by the end of this year. China also plans to expand its zero tariff treatment to other least developed nations that have diplomatic relations with the country. Robert Nagila has more. From the 25th of December 2023, China says it will exempt 98 percent of taxable products from paying tariffs when accessing markets across China from six African countries. Among them are Madagascar, Mali, the Gambia, and Angola. Now, what this means is that. 
almost all the products for export from these countries heading to China will be exempt from paying things like duty, for example. It is not the first time that China is doing this. On December 1st, 2022, last year, China exempted a number of African countries, low-income African countries, from paying tariffs for the goods that they were exporting. And here we're talking about over, or rather close to 9,000 products accessing various Chinese markets. So this is a win for these African countries and a good Christmas present for them. But more importantly, it goes to show the cooperation between China and Africa and how deeply cemented the friendship between these two sides is, uh, not just in the past, in the present, but also moving forward. That's Robert Nagila. Zhou Li is a senior researcher at the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation. He says the African products eligible for zero-tariff treatment cover a wide range of areas. They are covering about 98% of the products, so it covered almost everything. So I would say that all the manufacturing products will be covered, and together there will be still many other agricultural products, including some of the fishery products and also some of the fruits and other things. Actually, we are still trying to uh, improve the trade from Africa by importing their raw materials, which is kind of very important source of uh, export, especially for Angola. So I, I would say that is a very wide coverage of the products that African countries produce. The researcher also says trade between China and Africa is important for both sides. For China, we are really encouraging the import from Africa. Like for the first CII, the, the China International Import Expo, we had so many things to import, which can provide a lot of choices for Chinese consumers. Well, on the other hand, I would also say that uh, the export from China to African countries is very important to support their industrialization and urbanization. And it is a really very good example for the bilateral cooperation between the countries in the world. That was Zhou Mi, senior researcher at the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation. The city of Hefei in eastern China has resumed passenger flight to Osaka, Japan. This is the first international passenger route from Hefei to Northeast Asia to resume since such flights were suspended in 2020. The flight will be operated twice a week by Capital Airlines. So far, Hefei has resumed six international and regional air routes, taking passengers directly to Singapore, Thailand, Vietnam, Japan, and China's Hong Kong and Macau. Official data shows China's centrally administered state-owned enterprises have made new progress on green and low-carbon development in 2022. Last year, central SOE's energy consumption per 10,000 yuan of GDP decreased by 6% compared with that at the end of the 13th five-year plan period, which spans from 2016 to 2020. The carbon dioxide emissions per 10,000 yuan of GDP fell over 11%. Green development is among the nine spheres in which central SOEs saw progress last year. The development comes amid a nationwide push for carbon peaking and neutrality. China is aiming to maintain its annual level of grain output at more than 650 billion kilograms in 2024. The targets include stabilizing the production of staple food, corn and soybeans, and expanding the planting of rapeseeds. The Ministry of Agriculture and Rural Affairs has pledged increasing subsidies to help farmers purchase agricultural machinery and promote the use of high-performance cedars. The ministry will promote the utilization of drip irrigation 
irrigation systems, which are a mix of fertilization and ir- irrigation systems that combine water and nutrient supplies to crops. Rural counties across the nation will join a scheme to promote large-scale planting to increase yields. Monday marks the eighth anniversary of the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, or AIIB. Zheng Junfeng has more about the development of the bank over the years. As early as 2014, financial ministers and representatives from 21 Asian countries, including China, India, and Singapore, signed a memorandum of understanding to establish the Multilateral Development Bank. A year later, the AIB was officially set up as an international financial institution on December the 25th, the Christmas Day. During the opening ceremony of the fifth annual meeting of the AIB in 2020, Chinese President Xi Jinping announced the AIB had achieved a membership of 102, spanning six continents. By the end of 2021, the AIB had 104 members, and as of September of this year, had grown to 109. That was Zheng Junfeng on the development of AIIB. Iran is planning to sign a free trade agreement with the Eurasian Economic Union, which includes Russia and four other post-Soviet states, to create further opportunities to broaden interaction between the member states and Iran. Iran and the EAEU, which comprises Armenia, Belarus, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and Russia, first signed a three-year interim agreement in 2018. The parties are preparing to sign a final free trade agreement in Saint Petersburg. The agreement is expected to increase bilateral trade between Iran and the Union from the current six billion U.S. dollars to twenty billion dollars per year within five to seven years. The world's largest multi-purpose pulp vessel has been delivered in Dalian in northwest China. The vessel is two hundred and twenty-five meters in length. In addition to carrying wood pulp, it's also suitable for transporting high-speed trains, wind power equipment, and other goods. Its maiden voyage is expected to transport new energy vehicles and other goods for export. Sri Lanka has received over 1.4 million tourists this year, nearly double the number of last year. Authorities say India, Russia, the United Kingdom, and Germany are among the top source markets in December. Tourism is one of Sri Lanka's top foreign revenue generators. In late November, the government waived visa fees for nationals from countries including China, India, Indonesia, and Russia to boost tourism in the coming season. China has accelerated the construction of government-subsidized housing projects since the start of this of this year to solve housing difficulties for new citizens, young people, and migrant workers. The investment has exceeded one trillion yuan, about 140 billion U.S. dollars, by the end of November. More than 3.6 million units have been built under such projects. The housing department said it'll continue to intensify efforts next year to solve the housing difficulties for the people. Regions across China are reporting robust growth in trade in the first 11 months of this year. Heilongjiang Province in the northeast saw its foreign trade grew over. 13 percent year-on-year to nearly 270 billion yuan, about 37 billion U.S. dollars. Its imports rose 6.3 percent, while exports surged 41 percent. The foreign trade of Shenzhen grew 6.3 percent to 3.5 trillion yuan, nearly 500 billion U.S. dollars between January and November. Exports rose 13.6 percent to 2.2 trillion yuan. Mechanical and electrical products accounted for over 70 percent of the city's total exports. 
Now you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, Xinjiang clinches its tenth consecutive CBA win. Sideline Story brings you all things sports-related: the hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. It's 47 minutes past the hour. Turning to sports, here's Brandon Yates. Thank you, Hongyu. In the CBA, the Xinjiang Flying Tigers secured a 99-89 home victory over the Shandong Heroes, extending their winning streak to 10 matches. Dominique Jones scored 27 points and dished out 13 assists for Xinjiang. In the first quarter, Jones and Chi Lin combined for 17 points, propelling Xinjiang to a commanding 17-point lead. In the second quarter, Giao Xian hit a buzzer-beating shot to help Shandong narrow the deficit to eight before half time. Shandong missed 13 attempts from beyond the arc early in the third period, but Chen Piedong hit two consecutive three-pointers. Jones made two consecutive floaters in the fourth quarter, sealing the victory for Shijiang. Elsewhere, the Nanjing Monkey Kings beat the Beijing Ducks 109-95. The Liaoning Flying Leopards crushed the Sichuan Blue Whales 116-88, and the Zhejiang Golden Bulls routed Shanxi Lungs 129-112. Still in the CBA, Russian guard Alexei Shved is in his first season with the Shanxi Lungs. Reporter Diamond Jones sat down with Shved to talk about his expectations. First thing I guess we got to talk about is what drew you to the CBA when you were looking at your options for this season.、Uh, actually,、uh, they asked me for a long time to come back、uh, to come here to play CBA league, and、uh, a lot of my friends, like former NBA players, play here, and、uh, I asked him about the league. They say you will like it, and、uh, I'm happy to be here. This is my first year here, and I hope I will stay more. And as far as joining Shanxi, what was the adjustment process like? Of I guess you getting used to the team and vice versa. We start not really good this year, and、uh, after we start play much better. We pass the ball, and、uh, now we play more like smart basketball, and、uh, we just enjoy the game, and everybody happy, coaches happy, players happy. Uh, everybody score, and、uh, this basketball really nice for the fans too. One of the things some of the guys tell me when they come over here is that they weren't expecting the level of competition to be so fierce. What's your take on that and the level of competition in the CBA?、Oh, athletic basketball,、uh, uh, a lot of contacts. They play really fast, and、uh, they never give up. They play until the end, and.、Uh, Competition like really strong here, and all games、uh, interesting. By so far, I like all of them, and、uh, I like the way we play here too. What are your goals, both with the team and individually? I always want something big, and、uh, if I play somewhere, I want to win. I'm always thinking to win championship. This is, will be really hard, but we have a great team now, and we have good Chinese players, good foreigner players. And coach talked to us really good, friendly. He asked us what to do better, how we can do this. So I think、uh, we need to play smart,、uh, stay all together. We need discipline. And、uh, let's say if like coach tell us what to do once, he don't need to say this second time. And like everywhere, young guys need to listen the more experienced players what to do because they can help them. Because、uh, they play much more years than them, and、uh, 
I think just we just need to be all together and believe like we can be something good, something big. And uh, like I said, we play great now. And actually, I won't play like for four or five years more. And uh, I like CBA, I like China, and uh, I hope I stay here too, play a long time. So I'm ready for that. That was CBA player Alexi Schwed. Still in basketball, Hong Kong will host a 3x3 Olympic qualifying tournament in April next year. Eight teams per gender will participate in the tournament. Only the winners of each gender will qualify directly for Paris 2024. The Olympic 3x3 event is scheduled to take place next year at the iconic Palace de la Concorde, nestled in the heart of Paris. Meanwhile, the FIBA 3x3 digital channels have collected 1.1 billion views across all platforms and have 83% increase in new followers compared to last year. In the English Premier League, Wolverhampton Wanderers inflicted a fourth defeat in six matches on Chelsea on Sunday, beating the London side 2-1. Both sides wasted chances in the first half. Wolves broke the deadlock in the sixth minute before securing the win with a second goal in added time. The win moved the Wolves up to 11th, level with 10th placed Chelsea on 22 points. British billionaire Jim Ratcliffe has agreed to buy a 25% stake in Manchester United for around 1.3 billion US dollars. Ratcliffe owns petrochemicals giant Ineos. The 71-year-old British billionaire will also provide 300 million US dollars for future investment into the club's Old Trafford Stadium. United said Ratcliffe will take responsibility for the club's football operations. Uruguayan international midfielder Nicolas de la Cruz has joined Flamengo from Argentina's River Plate. The 26-year-old will be tied to Flamengo until December 2028 after the Rio de Janeiro side agreed to a transfer fee worth 16 million US dollars. De la Cruz scored 36 goals and provided 40 assists in around 200 games for River Plate. He is the third Uruguayan in Flamengo's squad joining defender Grilema Valeba and midfielder Jorginho de la Asqueta. Thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates with Sports. Coming up in Culture and Entertainment, a new animation featuring the Sanxin Dui Ruins. The world is about to change. Warriors, assassins, fair maidens, court officials, and even emperors and heavenly immortals are nothing but pawns on a giant chessboard. Xu Feng Nian, a playboy of national notoriety and heir to the empire's second most powerful man, finds himself embroiled in the depths of unbeatable game. CGTN Radio invites you to immerse in a world brimming with heroism and follow a young man's odyssey in the audio drama series, The Sword Strider Saga. Now available on radio.cgtn.com and all the major podcast platforms. When courage meets wisdom, the sword scribes an immortal legend. It's 54 minutes past the hour. Turning to culture and entertainment, the first animated movie to feature China's Sanxingdui culture will hit the big screen in the country on Friday. Heroes of the Golden Mask features Li Xian, the daughter of the guardian in the ancient Sanxingdui city. It conveys the cultural essence of Sanxingdui and the ancient Shu kingdom, showcasing the artistic characteristics and mysteries of the Sanxingdui civilization. Discovered in the late 1920s in Sichuan, the Shanxingdui ruins have been called one of the world's greatest archaeological finds of the 20th century. 
2023 in Hollywood did not go as scripted as both writers and actors were on the picket lines. It took months for their respective unions to negotiate a new labor contract. But the year did see major success stories in the world of music, film, and entertainment. Eddie Stiansong takes a look at this year's biggest highlights of showbiz in Hollywood. A quirky sci-fi movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which centered around a Chinese immigrant family, became the most prized production at this year's Academy Awards. The victory was hailed as a historic moment for Asians and Asian Americans in the movie industry. But in May, the Writers Guild declared a strike, and about two months later, Actors Union SAG-AFTRA followed suit. The longest Hollywood strike in 36 years lasted months, triggering a complete production shutdown with thousands of layoffs and businesses closing down. A new labor contract was ratified for the writers in October and another one for the actors in early December, earning them unprecedented benefits. No one has ever had a billion dollars in gains in one contract term before, not us or any other union in this industry. Uh, it has huge improvements in a whole number of areas besides AI, like casting, self-tapes. Uh, we broke the industry minimum wage pattern. Uh, you know, we established the streaming bonus fund for the first time. So many things that our members said they wanted and needed are addressed in this contract. The release of this year's biggest production, Barbie, along with Oppenheimer, provided a much-needed stimulus to Hollywood. Their simultaneous debut, dubbed Barbenheimer, brought in a combined $2.3 billion at the global box office. And in the world of music, Beyoncé was in the spotlight once again with her 88th Grammy nomination and breaking the record for most Grammy Award wins at 32. In live music performance, Taylor Swift was center stage with her world tour selling out in every location, raking in millions for local economies and landing her on the cover of Time magazine as the person of the year. That was Eddie Stiansong reporting. An inflatable giant rubber duck has landed in Shenzhen's Nanshan district, account attracting many to visit and post for pictures. Designed by Dutch artist Florentin Hoffman, the rubber duck will be stationed in the Shenzhen Talent Park along with 11 artworks from Chinese and international artists until January the 20th. The iconic floating sculpture has visited many Chinese cities before, such as Beijing, Tianjin, Hangzhou, and Hong Kong. It's about 58 minutes past the hour. Before we go, let's check the weather again. Beijing is minus 7 this evening. Tuesday will be sunny with a high of 4. Chongqing is 5 tonight, tomorrow cloudy and 13. Lhasa is minus 5 overnight, tomorrow sunny and 7. Hong Kong is 12 tonight, and it'll be cloudy and 18 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo is 2 overnight, sunny and 13 on Tuesday. Islamabad is 9 this evening, tomorrow sunny and 22. Bangkok is 21 overnight, then cloudy and 30 on Tuesday. In Africa, Nairobi will see light rain with a high of 26 tomorrow. That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, an Israeli strike on a refugee camp in Gaza has killed at least 70 people. Classes focused on earthquake knowledge and survival skills for children in earthquake hit areas in northwest China. On behalf of the staff, this is Do Hongyu in the Chinese capital. Hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. <laughs>